Don't expect justice in this world. It's not going to happen. We live in a world known for injustice. But Jesus Christ will come, James says, and when he comes, he will make everything right. There will be justice. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part two of When Life's Not Fair. Think for a moment. Have there been times in your life when you felt that life was unfair? Well, you're not alone. Life is full of moments when the idea of fairness is put to the test. Just look around you. The world is full of shocking and heartbreaking injustices. You may think there's no hope, no way to cope with the sense that something wrong has not been righted and that those hurt by an offense have not received healing. But as Tom will examine today, the Bible reveals a way for you to patiently endure life's injustice now while looking ahead to future justice. Let's join our teacher right now as we learn more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. Now the word unreasonable, the Greek word for unreasonable is the word skolios. You recognize that word. It's a word we use to describe the curvature of the spine. It's a word that means crooked. He says, I want you to submit yourselves and be respectful to those who are over you who are crooked, who are unreasonable, who are wicked. Verse 19 For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right, in other words, if you're just doing what you're supposed to do, and in this case, your employer, let's apply it to our modern terms, your employer is a wicked person, and you get treated unjustly because of that, and you suffer for it patiently, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So sometimes injustice comes into our lives simply as the overflow of the fallenness of the people around us. But sometimes, secondly, injustice comes into our lives deliberately and purposefully because of our faith, because you're a Christian, because of what you believe. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus addresses this form of injustice that can come to believers. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Here it's not just the overflow of somebody's fallenness affecting our lives. It's intentional. It's designed to get at us because of our righteousness, because of whose we are. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, it's interesting. You and I don't encounter a lot of physical persecution. In fact, none that I have ever encountered and perhaps you haven't either. Perhaps a few have been pushed or shoved in the process of sharing the gospel or 
uh, street preaching or whatever, but largely the persecution we endure is what? It's verbal, just like Jesus said here. It's insults. It's saying all kinds of evil against you because of me. And this is how injustice comes at us. It comes either from the overflow of the fallenness of the people around us or it comes because of our faith. But either way, we are to respond with patience. Patience, by the way, this Greek word for patience is the same word that's often used of God's patience with sinners. In other words, we are to exercise the same kind of patience God does. James says, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, but we are to be patient, notice verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. Just be patient. Be long-suffering until the Lord comes. Bear with them until and in expectation of the coming of the Lord. Now, this word coming, if you've been in the church any time at all, you'll recognize this Greek word, even if you don't know a lot of Greek. It's the word parousia. It's one of three primary New Testament words describing the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It literally means, this word, to, to be alongside of. To be alongside of. He says, I want you to be patient until the Lord comes alongside of us, would be a good translation of it. In secular Greek, this word was used to describe the arrival of a king or a monarch at one of his cities. It, it really is more than coming It has in it the idea of one's presence, the the monarch's presence. Probably the best English word to use to translate it is the word arrival. I want you to be patient until the Lord arrives. In fact, 15 times in the New Testament, this word parousia or coming is used to refer to Christ's return. Let me just show you several of those. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23, he says, in terms of the resurrection, which is what Paul is talking about here, he says, Christ was the first fruits of resurrection. After that, those who are Christ, that's us, at his parousia, at his arrival, at his coming. And when he comes, resurrection comes with it. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians In the letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul mentions this parousia or this coming often. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his arrival, at his coming? Chapter 3, verse 13. He says, I'm praying that God would establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4, verse 15, here's the most well-known usage of it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the parousia of the Lord, the coming, the arrival of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken. There was false teaching that had caused these people to waver in their confidence in the coming of Christ, that he'd already come. And Paul says, absolutely not. Don't waver in your confidence. Down in verse 8, he refers again to the appearance of his coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, Peter refers to this, and he does it in the context of some people are saying, where is the promise of his coming? There's scoffers saying, it's been a long time. Is he coming really? When's he going to come? Why hasn't he come yet? Peter said, don't let that shake your faith. God doesn't march to man's timetable. He is coming. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, John writes, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. What I want you to see, and the reason I led you through all of those references, and there are many others, but what I want you to see is that this event should be the constant preoccupation of our minds. Are you aware that some nearly 2,000 times, 1,835 times, the second coming is referenced in Scripture? 300 times in the New Testament. That means one in every 13 verses in the New Testament refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Puritan John Trapp said, This is penned as a badge to the sleeve of every true believer that he looks for and longs for Christ's coming. Martin Luther wrote, I preach as though Christ died yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. Is that how you live? Is that how you embrace the truths of the, of the Scripture that we so love? You really think of Christ as having died yesterday, being raised today. It's so much a reality to you that it's as if it happened today, and you're anticipating his return tomorrow. We are all to live our lives looking. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Many years ago, when I first discovered through the instruction of one of my professors, expository teaching and preaching, really the first time I had ever attempted to do it, it was this passage that I came to and first taught with those new tools that I had been uh, instructed in. I love this passage. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes to his young son in the faith, for the grace of God has appeared. This is probably grace incarnate, a reference to grace coming in the person of Jesus Christ. He has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That is, he has made salvation available to all men. Now watch verse 12. It focuses on us. Instructing this grace that has come in Christ teaches us. That is us who've come to embrace that grace, who've come to enjoy that grace. That grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and it instructs us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly looking. Verse 13. In other words, the grace of God brought to us in Christ instructs us or teaches us to live looking. Looking 
is a verbal. It's not a main verb. It's modifying, rather, the main verb, in this case, an infinitive. We have been instructed to live looking. Is that how you live? Is that really? Think for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Do you really live day in and day out as a Christian looking for the return of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, looking for what? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's what grace teaches us to do, to live here in this present age looking. I have to tell you, I hate to admit it to you, as I search my own heart this week, I cannot honestly say before the Lord that I live my life consistently looking. You see, in our culture, in the Christian culture here, heaven is not a popular topic. Why is that? Why don't we have songs about the second coming of Christ and about his return and about heaven? Why don't we long for heaven like Paul did? Well, I think one of the reasons is the difficulties of this life make believers long for heaven, and we frankly have it pretty good here. I want Christ to come back, but I want to be married first. I want Christ to come back, but I want to have children first. I want Christ to come back, but I want to see my grandkids first. I want Christ to come back, but... And you fill in the blank. Life is good. Ellen Thompson wrote, Life is too comfortable and things too important for us to want to leave this world, making it hard to sing with integrity on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We can't sing that with our hearts. But let me tell you, when people are hurting, when they've lost a family member, when you hear that a child has terminal cancer, when a family has been destroyed by divorce, when a a person ages and their body begins to literally decay around them and fall apart so that living is effort and trouble and work. Heaven and Christ's return begins to have a new and a fresh luster. James says, be patient until Christ comes. You see, suffering people long for the presence of Christ, their King. Here's the point. Listen carefully. Here's the point James wants us to get. You and I, as we face injustice in this world, we are to find in the return of Christ an anchor for our souls in the midst of an unfair world. Now to help us understand his point, James uses an illustration. Look back at James chapter 5, verse 7. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Now, in agricultural society like that of the first century in James' world, they would have immediately understood this. The land of Israel was dotted with farms and with tenant farmers. This would have been a, rel- a relatively poor tenant farmer, is the word used here. What does a farmer like that live for? The precious produce of the soil. In other words, the harvest. That's what he lives for. But if he wants to enjoy the harvest, he has to what? He has to wait. He has to be patient. He waits being patient about it, James says. He has to be patient. 
before he can enjoy the produce, a lengthy process has to take place that includes even the right kinds of rain. Here it's called the early and late rains. Again, a person from Palestine, the land of Palestine, which all of these people were, they had originally been in James Church in Jerusalem, now they're scattered because of the persecution, they would have understood this. But let me give you a very brief geography lesson so you understand this land. In Israel, there is little to no rain from June through September. Then, beginning in late October and early November, they get what they call the early rains, usually in a series of dramatic thunderstorms, downpours. And these wet the soil so that the farmer can come and plow that hard, what was hard ground. Now it's been wet and it's, it's pliable, it's open to the plow, and he can prepare the soil and he can sow the seed. That's the early rains. Over the next couple of months after he sows, between December and February, the land of Israel gets 75% of their annual rainfall. And then in late April and May, they get what are called the late rains. These are not usually terrible thunderstorms, but rather light showers that enable the crops, the grain, for example, to mature to its fullest extent and be ready for harvest. You see, both the early and the late rains were crucial to a good harvest. And when they came, it was because of the faithfulness of God. It was an evidence of his faithfulness. The people were to pray for the early and the late rains so they could have a good harvest. James' point in the illustration is that reaping a harvest requires time and patience. It started with the early rains in October, and you didn't see any harvest until the next summer. That's exactly the perspective we need when we're treated unfairly. Just be patient. But I think James chose the picture of a farmer and a harvest for a very particular reason. You see, the image of a harvest is a familiar Jewish picture of judgment, of God's judgment. Turn to Joel, the prophet Joel, for a moment. In Joel chapter 3, you have here the description of Armageddon as Joel prophesies the coming day of the Lord. And in Joel chapter 3, verse 13, we'll back up to verse 12. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. The nations will gather. And God says it's like a courtroom. And verse 13, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley awaiting God's verdict. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley where they await God's verdict. Here, judgment, God's judgment is pictured as a harvest. And when you come to the New Testament, you see the same image. In the ministry of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, Verse 12, Jesus is said to have his winnowing fork in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this image of a harvest is an image of coming judgment. And when you understand that, it makes James' illustration much richer. James is saying, listen, be patient. Judgment day is coming.
when all will be set right. Notice back in James chapter 5, verse 8, that James applies the illustration to us. He says, you too be patient. In the same way that the farmer waits for the harvest, you wait for the coming of the Lord and the judgment that he will bring. Folks, listen, don't expect justice in this world. It's not going to happen. We live in a world known for injustice. But Jesus Christ will come, James says, and when he comes, he will make everything right. There will be justice. This is exactly how Paul taught the Thessalonians to think. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 4, he says, We speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and your faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. He says, listen, you're treated unjustly. You live in the midst of injustice. He said, but verse 6, there's coming a day when God is going to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. He says, listen, understand, you're not getting justice here, but justice is coming. When? Verse 7, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's coming. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. My sister Sarah, one of my nine siblings, my next oldest sibling, I'm the youngest of ten, my next oldest sibling is four years older than I. Her name is Sarah. She was always the baby of the family in the true sense of the word. She was always spoiled as the baby. And she milked it for all it was worth, let me tell you. I, of course, having a sinful little heart, resented her status as the sort of resident Hepshepsut, you know, queen of Egypt. And I can remember times, and I know this is going to shock you, but I can remember times when in order to get even, I would do things intentionally to get at her. Now, kids, let me tell you, don't do this. But I learned early on that my sister Sarah, and she still is, by the way, germaphobic. And so occasionally, I would wait while we were all gathered around the table, and this worked especially well when the food wasn't served family style as it usually was, but occasionally my mom would actually put the food on the individual plates and put them in front of us. So I would wait until my dad was saying thanks for the meal, and then I would gently kick my sister under the table to get her attention. And when she looked, I would very ceremoniously, and with all the pomp I could muster, blow across the table on her food. <laughs> it was perfect because she couldn't say anything or she'd have been looking during prayer, which was a, a, an offense in my house. Well, occasionally, those were, those were sort of the minor occurrences, but occasionally during the day while Dad was away at work, I would really cross the line. And I'm not going to give you any of those ideas. But when that happened... I still remember to this day that her greatest threat to me was this. When that happened, she would say, 
You just wait until dad gets home. Now, the clear implication of that statement was, I've been wronged, and when dad gets home, he is going to make it right. Folks, that's exactly how the Bible urges us to think about the return of Jesus Christ. When we're wronged, when we're treated unjustly, when we suffer injustice in this world, either, either as the overflow of the fallenness of the people around us or persecution for our faith, either way, there's coming a day when Dad comes home. And it all will be made right. Just That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, When Life's Not Fair. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.